I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. I know from my experience as a financial planner that we humans are often inhibited when it comes to talking about money. Many of us struggle to see that money is really just a means to an end and that the decisions we make around money can change not only our life, but the life of others as well. I'm going to be speaking with guests from a variety of backgrounds and asking them to share their personal story and the influence money has had along the way. I'm also going to be delving into some of those tricky money and life questions that I've seen my clients wrestle with over the years. My hope is that the shared experience of my guests will help you think maybe differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. I'm delighted to be joined today by Mark Cadogan. Mark is CEO of Ella's Kitchen, the UK's number one baby food brand. He's also head of sustainability and marketing at Haines Celestial Europe. Mark is a passionate advocate of business being used as a force for good. And through his leadership at Ellers, he exemplifies how a business can be both profitable and purposeful. Mark's also a member of the B Lab Board, a UK registered charity that supports certified B Corps in the UK. B Corps, for those of you who aren't familiar, are businesses that have changed their articles of association, meaning they are legally obliged to consider equal standing to people, planet and profit when making their business decisions. Ella's Kitchen became a B Corporation in 2016, becoming only the second company to do so was part of a PLC, the first being Ben & Jerry's at Unilever. Ella's Kitchen's really captured the zeitgeist, connecting with both parents and most importantly, children. The brand is now sold in over 33 countries around the world. And apparently at every second of every day, somebody somewhere is eating an Ella's Kitchen product. Outside of work, Mark is husband to Rachel, a father to two young girls, and an Arsenal supporter. Now, I first met Mark when he joined us for the Paradigm Norton Team Day last year, virtually, and I was really taken by his enthusiasm and drive. So it's a very warm welcome to you today, Mark, to Money Expresso. Oh, thanks very much for, for inviting me, Ruth. Lovely, it's great to have you here. Um, Mark, perhaps you could start by just telling us in a kind of nutshell how you became to be CEO of Ella's Kitchen and, and a little bit about what makes Ella's Kitchen such a special place. Well, I love the fact that you just said in a nutshell because um, I left university and for 13 years I was involved in a business selling nuts and snacks. <laughs> um, and I became sort of part owner in this business with, with two other guys. Um, and we built the business up from, from scratch and into quite a, a, a sizable business. It was called Dorman's. So it's quite a sort of recognizable brand. We sold that to a PLC. We then invested in a, in a granola cereal company, built that up and sold that. And, and then met Paul Lindley. Um, and feels a little bit like a, a religious experience, but it, it's something that changed my life and Paul's vision for Ella's Kitchen, which was all around children's health and nutrition. It wasn't all around making as much money as possible. Mm. Um, and I found it very inspiring um, and joined Ella's Kitchen. And it honestly has changed my life in terms of what I think business can and should stand for. Um, and I've been there just coming up to 10 years. And in that time, we've moved from a founder-led business we were bought eight years ago by an American PLC, so a NASDAQ-listed company. So there have been lots and lots of changes. Yeah. You asked me what's special about Ella's Kitchen. 
I could honestly talk forever about what's special about Ella's <laughs> Kitchen, um, and it would probably be a completely different podcast. Um, but if I had to pull out a few things, I would say it's our mission, the fact that we do stand for something other than making money. That's our kind of North Star. We're very much a values-based organization. Um, the people are amazing. I'm just proud of, of what we do every day. It's fantastic. And I think that's such an achievement to do that within a, a much larger organization. It, it, they've obviously given you kind of autonomy as a firm within the Haynes Celestial umbrella, I presume, to, to be your own thing. Yes, they have. And, and I've often mentioned this, actually, that you know when we were bought by Haynes Celestial, my biggest concern was what's the impact they're going to have on us, you know, on our values, on our mission. Are they going to start constricting what we do and, and absolutely you know, taking our autonomy away? I'm, I'm a big believer that autonomy is one of the most important things in, in running a business. But actually, one of the things I'd say I'm most proud about in since we've been bought by Haynes Celestial is actually the reverse has happened. So they haven't impacted us. I would say we've impacted them more when it comes to sustainability, for example. So and I think that's a testament to them and also a testament to, to the team at Ellis. Mm, yeah, that, I mean, that is really powerful, isn't it? That kind of David and Goliath thing very often. I, and I know this from my experience, Mark, when um, my firm, The Red House, was merged into Paradigm Norton. We were much smaller than Paradigm Norton, but I think genuinely the two firms coming together, we were able to take the best from each and, and create something even better that you know the the what's that expression the sum of the parts is greater than the the, the, the whole I think I always get that yeah. the wrong way around so forgive me if I have but I think you know what I mean but uh, and and Ella's Kitchen I think became a B corporation in 2016 so coming up five years yes that's right yeah and, um, and, and what was the driver there Mark um to be honest, you know Paul was still involved in the company and we found out about the movement um, from a competitor in, in the United States. And it just felt like home as a movement. Mm. You know, we, we've you know, talked about us being a values-based organization with this mission. And, and it's very wor wordy, but you know, the, the premise behind B Corp is people using business as a force for good. Whenever I say that, people switch off, particularly my wife. She's like, oh, it's such a, you know, I, I don't know what that means. Um, but it, it kind of felt like home to us. We thought we were doing all of the things that were necessary to become a B Corp. And B Corp looks at everything you do as a company. So from how you treat your staff, your impact on the environment, your impact on society, absolutely everything. And it's really, really difficult to do. And we just felt it, it felt like home, but since we've certified, we've realized it's much, much bigger than that. It is interesting. And I think we went on a similar journey at Paradigm Norton becoming a B Corp. It, it felt like a very PNE thing to do. And then the more you delve into it, the more you realise, as you say, it's, it's a massive thing. And I think it's a, it's a I mean, the, one of the purposes of this podcast, Money Expresso, is to get people talking and thinking differently about money and, and how we use money in our lives. And I think an, a natural extension of that is thinking about how business can do better in our lives. And, you know, I think there's a there's a bunch of cynical individuals who think that B Corp is just a, a, you know, it's a tagline, it's a marketing angle. But what a B Corp has to go through is, is legally changing articles of association. So people, planet and profit have to be taken into consideration in all decisions. 
the cynics would say, you know, what's that got to do with business? Shouldn't government, shouldn't regulation do that? But how would you answer that type of response? <laughs> um, it's, I don't, I don't know really where to start because I, I just like that statement so much. Um, I, I'd like to have a chat with those cynics directly, I suppose, you know, mm. because if you think about it, capitalism has one aim and one aim only. And as a CEO of a publicly listed company or a division of a publicly listed company, I have one fiduciary duty, and that is maximize shareholder return. That's it. And I guess the cynics that you're talking about would say, yeah, that's it. That's the aim for all businesses. That should always be the aim for all businesses. But do we really feel that this is fit for today's world? Do we really feel that governments should be the ones to solve all, and I mean all, the social and environmental issues, the biodiversity loss, global warming, the looming environmental catastrophe mm. on their own. And when we say government, who do we mean? Do we mean Boris Johnson? Do we mean the UK cabinet? Do we mean the current Conservative Party? You know, who are these magical people that can solve so many issues, issues that don't respect borders and are truly global? Um, and if we wait for governments to legislate, say, for example, around the environment, it's going to be too late. Mm. Um, there's this great quote from Barack Obama, who says, you know, we are the first generation of leaders who won't be able to look back and say, we didn't know. Yeah. So the only question is, what are we going to do about it? Mm. Um, so to the cynics would say, well, it's not your responsibility. I would say it's business's responsibility. It's people's responsibility. It's all of our responsibility. And if we negate and, and don't take that responsibility, we're kind of doomed. Um, and I'd also say to the cynics, if you're only interested in making more money, if you run your company in the right way, if you treat your staff as well as you can, if you, if you minimize the impact that you have on the environment and take great care of the environment, you'll have a more successful business. On any metric, you'll have happier people who produce better work. You know, yeah. everything will work better yeah. if you run your company in this way. So it kind of frustrates me. And, and we're talking <laughs> about money as well. And, and you know, if you put your money into the, these companies that, that are doing good, you're going to get a better return. Mm. So yeah, I'd love to chat to the cynics. <laughs> mm. No, no. And, and I can feel the passion coming through. And, and you know, I, I agree entirely. And it, I love that Barack Obama quote, because it's true, isn't it? We can't unknow what we now know to be true. Um, and it's all of our jobs to, to try to do something about it. Um, Mark, I'm going to take a little bit of a, a different direction, if I may. Um, could I just take you back to when you were a, a young boy growing up? And how do you first remember money either existing or being discussed in your in your family when you were when you were young? I, I, yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. I'm, I'm 48 years old. I can't really remember much. Yeah. Of um, I think my first experience of money was I was walking along the street. I was brought up in a small village in, in Hampshire with my mum, and I found a £20 note on the floor. Um, and a £20 note back in the day, it's probably you know 50 or £100 yeah. now. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I was super excited, and we went home, and we called the police to let them know that we found this. I guess you wouldn't call the police now, right? Like, <laughs> what are you doing calling us? We're kind of busy. Um, <laughs> And they said, thanks very much. And then like three, four hours later, uh, a lady came around to pick it up. And 
she gave me five pounds, you know, yeah. for, for for calling the police and and letting them know. And she'd just taken it out of the cash machine and, and had dropped it. Um, I guess that was my first mm. my first experience of really thinking and understanding money. Yeah, yeah. And in in was was money a subject that was spoken about in your in your family? Um, not really. My dad was a consultant. He was a doctor in the mm. NHS, mm. Uh, and it wasn't something that, 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 that we spoke about much. Um, and it wasn't something that I was hugely interested in. Yeah. Um, I, you know, come from a very privileged background. You know, my, my dad was a doctor. Um, so I don't really remember much yeah. about it. I mean, we never used to go on summer holidays or abroad. We went to France like once, or, once a year, but we drive. So I, I sort of understood we were always trying to save, but. Um, yeah, that, that, those are my sort of, that's what I remember, I suppose. Yeah, so, so you know, kind of normal, whatever that is, that it wasn't, you know, a pressure one way or the other. Um, I'm intrigued, Mark, you said when you left university, you uh, were um, selling nuts and seeds or created a business creating nuts and seeds. What, what was your very first job? Did you did you have a job as a, as a teenager? I did. So I qualified as a professional tennis coach when I was... 17. Um, so I taught tennis for a few years and, and that kind of paid for my living at university and I started to, to save as well. Um, and I also used to be a, a wannabe DJ, so I used to <laughs> DJ as well, sort of house music back in the day, um, trying to pretend that I was I was cool when I wasn't cool. And um, so I earned money from, from DJing and, and tennis, um, left university, did tennis for a while and then fell into you know, this nuts and snacks company and, and designed a retail range of products and yeah. was responsible for selling it and marketing it. And that was the, my first foray into food and drink, I suppose. And, and I've been there ever since. Interesting. Um, I've not come across anybody whose first jobs were a tennis, tennis coach or a, or a DJ. So um, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that seems very exotic and, and you mentioned you started to save was that a natural thing for you to want to do or was that something that was instilled in you from an early age by your parents yeah I don't know where it came from um but I've always been uh get sort of anxious you know at university when we had the banks used to offer you I think it was 50 pounds just to start up an account with them and they'd give you an overdraft and I never wanted to be overdrawn and, mm. and I kind of had the same same ethos, I suppose. I'm always worrying about money, which I shouldn't do. Yeah. My wife's always telling me not to, but I always worry and save and putting it away. And I guess it comes from the fact that uh, my parents were always really um, cautious around money. You know, mm. we never go anywhere. I don't remember really spending any money on clothes. I had hand-me-downs or from my sister, which wasn't great, and my brother. <laughs> um, I just don't, we just, and we had never had a new car. Like, mm. never had a new car. Mm. I mean, I just recently got a new car. It's an electric car, and I've leased it. But, yeah. you know, my dad's like, wow, you've got a new car? And I'm like, well, I don't own it. Yeah. But we never, just never, just never did those sort of things. Yeah. We just didn't enter, enter the philosophy of the house, I suppose. I think that I've taken that on a bit. Mm. I, I think it's, it's really fascinating how we do pick up habits or ways of being from our parents, albeit 
I don't know whether this was the same. You mentioned you've got a brother and sister, but my, myself and my brother, we, we couldn't be more different when it comes to the way we are around money. I'm probably more like you, Mark, more of a, 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 a conscious saver or sensible, I guess. Whereas my brother, money just goes through his fingers and, uh, um, you know, he, he, he's a fan of shiny things. But um, I think that's really interesting how it plays out in families. Mm-hmm. How are you... Um, uh, how old are your daughters, Mark? Um, so my eldest is eleven, um, and my other daughter is nine. Yeah, and 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 are you educating them around money? Is that is that a conscious thing within the household, or is it not really something that's come up at this stage? No, unfortunately, it has come up quite a lot with my eleven-year-old, who is obsessed with the idea of making money, um, and I honestly don't know where it comes from. But you know, she's starts looking at, at jobs and stuff and, and says you know well, what's going to earn me the most money mm. and I'm trying you know well I'm not trying every time she brings it up which is quite frequent she just wants to be rich that is her aim um I'm trying to tell her that that is not what's going to make her happy yeah you know that is intrinsically the wrong thing to be aiming for mm. um she should be aiming for fulfillment at work for doing things that she really really wants to do and I keep trying to say to her you know, the only way, I mean, she's only 11, but the only way you can get, you can get fulfillment, I believe, at work in one way and one way only, and that's helping other people. It's not making more money for yourself. It yeah. really isn't. It shouldn't be something that she's aiming for. Yes, you know, you, you want, I think she should be frugal and all those sorts of things, but to have as your main aim in life to be rich, for me, is just wrong. Mm. And it's a difficult lesson to impart on a child isn't it I, I I don't have children but I have a niece who's um nine and when I was last talking to her she was telling me she wanted to be a plastic surgeon I mean you know in some respects that's a you know great that she wants to go into medicine but I thought it was quite strange that it was plastic surgery that w- was her draw and I wondered whether that was something to do with with money I, I didn't explore it any further but w- w- th- those feelings around helping people do you think that's something is that something that you've come to as you've moved through life mark or was it was it a sense from an early age um i I think it was probably a sense without me knowing from an early age you know i come from a a a line of doctors you know my dad's dad was a doctor his brother was a doctor Mm. dad was a doctor um my niece is a doctor um and if you think about you know my dad got a huge amount of fulfillment um, through his work and all he was doing was helping people all yeah. day long he was just trying to help people and do, and do the best for them and that's incredible and, and that's a richness that you know it's difficult to replicate mm. elsewhere um so I'm sure I picked it up um from that but I also think I've been a bit late to the party if, I, if I'm honest um and I haven't really truly understood myself or what makes me happy and actually I think if you're not on the front line, if you weren't a key worker, we've all had this period of the last year where we've had an opportunity to really reflect on ourselves and yeah. reflect on life, which is precious and it's short. And what does make us happy? I mean, there are all these books on happiness, what's going to make you happy, and 10 guide, 10 steps to this and to that. But I really think you can boil it down to helping other people. That's yeah. what really makes your, your heart sing. Um, so, you know, with my daughter, you ask, you know, how do I impress upon her? I mean, if I'm late to the party, you know, she's only 11. 
but I can sort of point out, you know, moments where she does do something for somebody else, which she does quite a lot. And then I can say to her, how did that make you feel? Yeah. And I know how it's going to make her feel. Mm. Um, because she's at her happiest when she's helping her sister out or when her sister falls over and hurts herself and she's straight there immediately yeah. trying to make her laugh and trying to help her. Like that's, you know. So she's got the genes, yeah. 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 Well, and also I just need to point it out, you know. So rather than telling her, just just let her realise that there are these moments that that's where she gets these connections and happiness from. And I think that's right, isn't it? It's just being mindful, isn't it? And, and as you say, you know, enabling her to notice that she's feeling good about having done something that wasn't related to, to money or, uh, and yeah, I think that's, that's really strong. You, you, you've touched on something, uh, Mark, that I think is a really interesting question. Rich or wealthy, what, what do those words mean to you? Um, rich, uh, rich doesn't have great connotations um, mm. for me because it, it almost means you have too much money. Yeah. Uh, and I would, certainly for me, I'll say from my perspective, rich isn't something that you should aim for, or I aim, I did aim to be rich. But wealthy for me means it can have different connotations. It doesn't have to be around money. Mm. You can be wealthy from a happiness point of view. You can be wealthy from a relationship point of view. So yeah, rich is just a bit icky. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah. Whereas wealthy is, you know, that, that's okay. That, that, that's, that's a good thing to, to, to aim for, so long yeah. as it's not just about money. Yeah. I often talk to people about, you know, what, what does money mean? What, what, does, it, what does it bring? And, and, and very often it is more around, you know, a sense of freedom and, and, and time. Um, and it's funny because I think people will use the terms rich and wealthy kind of interchangeably. And, and I suppose that that doesn't really matter as long as we, we have a sense of what that really means with, within. Um, and for some people that might mean having a really, really big bank balance or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I guess that's what makes the world. But um, what's been your most successful investment, Mark, that's got nothing to do with money, if that doesn't sound like a rather weird question? Um, my success, most successful investment. Um, I hope this doesn't come across as all kind of millennial or all about me, me, me. Um, I would say uh, a bit of therapy. Yeah. Um, mm. For myself. Um, to, because it's quite kind of, quite, I can't speak in my words. <laughs> I think I, I've been quite a sort of open person with regards to uh, work, but quite a closed person from a personal point of view mm. and understanding myself and understanding what happened to me when I was younger and you know all these things that happened to all of us mm. um I just think I've been on a, on a bit of journey over the last few years so I would say um understanding that really I think that's such a worthwhile investment actually uh, you know a life unexamined and all that and, and I think nobody teaches us how to be do they really and you know we, we all just make the best we can and if somebody else can help then I think that's very valuable uh, you know I, I, that really resonates for me too and in terms of um, B Corp, I know that's something that's really dear to your heart. And we've spoken a bit about that as far as Ella's Kitchen is concerned. How does B Corp kind of thinking show up in your, in your family? 
in your day-to-day life? Well, um, it shows up quite a lot and it actually honestly drives my wife crazy <laughs> about it the whole time. We go out, well, when we used to go out, when we were out. Those were the days. <laughs> um, I'm always talking to people about it. I do honestly feel it's going to be the most important movement of our lifetime. But how does it show up in our day-to-day far too often? Um, so uh, my eldest, we talked about she's 11. She's got a B Corp badge on her school backpack. Um, so it shows up there. Um, I'd say the products I buy. So our Ocado weekly shop is littered. And I do mean littered with B Corps from all of our alcohol, dog food, ice cream, chocolate, tea, yeah. snacks, obviously a bit of Ella's Kitchen. Um, <laughs> I mean, so much of my shop is from B Corps. Um, we now have an electric car. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always thinking about how we can minimize the, the amount of um, carbon that, that we offset as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, our electricity is provided to us by B Corps. So Bulb do our electricity. Yeah. Um, as a family, we've offset all of our emissions for last year um, by planting trees in the Ellis Kitchen uh, Grove. So, yeah, I, I think it, it shows up quite a lot, actually, in, yeah. in day to day, because I am so passionate about it. Um, and I do realise that I come across sometimes as, as the person that definitely drank the Kool-Aid, or probably, if you like the analogy, I'm a bit like Obelix, I like fell into the Kool-Aid and drank it all. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it, it is all around us. I mean, the, the jacket on the back of my uh, chair is from a B Corp, it's from Finisterre. I mean, it's just, it's kind of everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's, it's brilliant. And, and I think it's really, walking the talk is what it's all about, isn't it? Otherwise, you know, it's all very, very shallow kind of promises. And we've all got a big job to be done, as, as you were discussing, in terms of the way business can help impact the, the future for, for all of us. Um, yeah, and if we go back to the cynics at the, at the beginning, um, I guess they would say, well, it's not my problem. Well, I have money to spend and I want to spend it in a certain way because I yeah. realized actually we all have a voice and that mm. voice is important and actually now more than any other time in human history one person can have maximum impact yeah yeah because the way we are connected from a digital point of view um and if you see all of the movements that have started I mean just look at what happened in the Premier League with the trying to break away yeah you know they they, they own the clubs they thought they could do whatever they wanted Mm. well there's a swift backlash from fans Mm. fans, Mm. uh, and it's all fallen apart so we do have a voice yeah and we should be using that whether it's from a personal point of view or from from a business point of view um we can make change if we want to yeah i think that's right and and it's upset me for a number of years that very often it's deserved but you know business having such a bad rap um that you know business doesn't have to be bad you don't have to be you know a ball-breaking individual to be successful in business you know there is a way of doing business well and um I think B Corp really does exemplify that Mark a question I'd like to ask people which is is a little bit frivolous possibly or may or maybe not um Spending choices, I think, are fascinating. And, and you've just spoken about your um, desire to litter your weekly shopping with, with B Corp products. Um, 
we all have things I think that we will spend money on and and not really notice or not really care because it's it's something that we enjoy or feel feel is important in our lives and then these other areas where we begrudge spending every penny even if we have to how does that show up for you um I think in terms of where do I spend too much money um it would probably be clothes okay um, which I think my brother would, would find hilarious <laughs> if he thinks I dress really badly. Um, so <laughs> I definitely probably spend too much money on, on clothes. Although some of them are, are to be fair, like Patagonia and Finisterre are B Corps. So yes. I square that away in my mind, but, but that's okay. Um, and again, embarrassingly, where I sort of, not begrudge, but where I'm really, really thrifty is on my weekly shop. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, and I just, um, some things I just won't buy unless they're on, on, on promotion. I, I know it's because my my consumer brain has been taught that the promotion is going to come around once a month, so I'll mm. buy twice as much, mm. um, you know, skincare or something. Yeah. Because I, And I know it'll be, and I'll wait until it's on a third off again. And <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, it's strange, isn't it? It's a really yeah. good question because it, we all do it. You know, yeah. Some areas were like, oh, it doesn't matter, it's fine. And others, but when it comes down to the, I don't know, I'm mm. talking 50 pence or 25 <laughs> pence, I'll shop around. Like, Why <laughs> I don't know. But I it do. is weird, isn't it, how we've all got those things. In, in fact, I had another guest recently who felt the same about her weekly shop, um, which, yeah, it, it, is, is interesting. Um, and yeah, maybe that's just something that you understand, you know, particularly with your, your background in... in uh, in, uh, in in consumerism and, and retail better than us around the the promotions. But, uh, what's been the most um, enjoyable or pleasurable thing that you've purchased in the last twelve months that costs say thirty pound or less? So I'm thinking of something here that you just think, oh my god, that's been so useful or so much fun. What could that be for you? Um, hands down, without a question, table tennis bats. Uh, so, um, I, you know, talked before about used to be a, a tennis coach, um, and I love playing table tennis. Um, and I've always wanted, um, <laughs> even before we had children, we talked to my wife about it. I want my my kids to be really, really good at table tennis. So we've got two girls, and, and my kind of vision, and this is a bit strange, and I probably shouldn't admit this, haven't told them. Is <laughs> for them to maybe maybe not go to college or, or to be at a party later in life and someone to have a table tennis table and says who wants a game and for them to be able to beat everybody right-handed <laughs> right-handed or left-handed it doesn't matter and in the first lockdown um we bought a table just about fits in our in our back garden in in london i bought some table tennis bats and you remember the you know lockdown one the weather was just incredible oh, yes um, and homeschooling was a bit of a disaster for us it was really really difficult but at lunchtime, I play an hour of table tennis with them. And then in the afternoon, we play an hour of table tennis. And we did this every day. And they've got really good. Okay. You know, they've got topspin forehand, topspin backhand. And it's hilarious. Now, I mean, they beat my wife the other day, and she's quite handy. <laughs> and yeah, so that was saved us throughout lockdown with just playing table tennis the whole time. And me seeing them just get better and better and better. Um, as they took risks and tried yeah. more things, and yeah, it was just it was it's a joy. 
I love that. And and any tricks as yet? Any kind of you know hitting the ball from behind or through your legs? Well, hitting or... the ball from behind, but still, but you know, just to have a top spin smash without doing the sort of round the world and turning around and and yes, yeah, so just sometimes they just come up with shots. You think, where did that come from? Yeah. Um, and it's just practice and practice and practice and practice. Good, good. I like that. Very good. And Mark, as, as you know, we. Um, Paradigm Norton, we, we are financial planners and we try to talk to people about making better money decisions. Um, do you have any kind of pearls of wisdom, any money pearls of wisdom that have stood you in good stead or you could imagine might be useful to leave as a, as, as a, as a tip for our listeners today about money which you've seen used well or has helped you in your journey through life so far yeah i'm not really going to answer your question so i'm going to give you a bit of a politician's answer and i'm going to steal a bit of advice my dad gave me with regards to pensions which is just because i couldn't afford really i could but i convinced myself i couldn't afford to start a pension in my first salaried role and he was saying you just got to start because it's like a snowball yeah. And when you're just putting it automatically, and I know now it's different because you have to have a pension provided by your work, um, just start. And he's like, mm. it's like a snowball going off the top of a mountain. It yeah. Just start accumulating. So I started from a very early age. So that's my one bit of pearl of wisdom, which isn't a great pearl of wisdom. No, it's a good one, Mark. It really is. I wish more people had a father that instilled that. <laughs> and the other thing I'd say, and Obviously, I'm not a financial expert, but I, but I would say, and I was asked this the other day, actually, there was a, a seven-year-old girl who wrote into Ellis Kitchen, and um, she wrote in to me, she said, hi, my name's X, and, and I'm seven and a half. Um, I love Ellis Kitchen, love your products, but really sad that you can't recycle mm. your pouches. So I wrote back saying, actually, you can, this is where you do it, we upcycle them, et cetera, et cetera. She wrote back again, and I wrote back again, going, look, I'll come in and talk to your, to your class. And I went in and I was with them for quite a few hours. And it just happened, weirdly, to be within a mile of where I live, which is so strange. Anyway, I went to talk to them. They were amazing, the kids. We did lots of games. And, um, and at the end, asking questions. And some of the parents had turned up because um, they knew I was coming in. And this little girl had the last question. And she was absolutely amazing. And she said, if there's one bit of advice, if there's one thing we could do to help the planet, what would it be? And I hadn't thought about this in advance because I didn't know this was going to be the question. No. And I answered honestly, and this is the honest answer I would give, and this is my one piece of advice um, to anybody listening to this. And I really want them to listen to this because I think we can change the world. I said, when you go home and you're talking to your mum or your dad or both your parents this evening, ask them where the pension is invested. And ask them to look at a proper ESG fund. Yeah. Because yeah. that way we can change the world. Because if you don't like oil companies, there's a really, 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 really high chance that your current pension is invested in oil companies. If you're out demonstrating, you know, you want to save the planet, where is your pension invested? Do you know where your pension is invested? Because it's a huge amount of, or it will be a huge amount of money, a yeah. sizable sum. And if we start to change 
the financial metrics around this, we can literally change the world. Um, there's an organization, Make Your Money Matters, which has uh, been started by Richard Curtis, who obviously wrote Love Actually and, and, and all those sorts of films. And um, I'm gonna steal this story. He, he was talking um, a couple of weeks ago. He was saying, he got chatting to a consultant, this lady who was a consultant in the NHS, and she dealt with really difficult um, cancer patients and had saved many, many um, people's lives, elongated their lives through difficult surgery. She was a bit of a hero in the NHS. Mm, yeah. And she recently retired and has realized that her pension, amongst other things, has been invested in a cigarette company. Right. And yeah. she's, she's really sad about this because she's she she said to him, I think I probably killed more people through my investments that I saved my entire career. That's Isn't powerful. that something to yeah. think about? It's like, wow, we are all doing this. Most of us are doing this, shall I say, without even knowing. Yeah. And we go back to the cynics at the beginning. Well, it's not your problem. It is our problem. Mm -hmm. And it is something that we can fix. So if you're passionate about this, go to your pension company and ask them, can I invest my money in an ESG fund, a proper ESG fund, yeah. one that is committed to net zero, one that aligns with your values? Whatever your values are, just make sure that you haven't spent your whole life doing something that actually goes against your values, because that would be like this lady. That's pretty sad. Uh, that's such a powerful story as well, to, to bring that point alive. I, I was at a um, ESG conference about 18 months ago, and there was a lady presenting talking about a nil tobacco approach and it really does do nobody nobody at all any good it you know it, it really doesn't there isn't there is no argument um but um mark that's such a powerful way i think to end this and it would be remiss of me not to to say that um, paradigm Norton, we've recently launched our responsible portfolio um and we also have an impact portfolio and you know it's it's a it's a great conversation for us to be having with our clients. And there seems to be this view, which I don't believe at all, that it's only people of a certain age that, that care about investing in this way. And I don't think that's true at all because those people have got children or grandchildren and they want there to be a bright future, um, even if them themselves are not quite so invested in it. So, so that's a, a beautiful way to end uh, this, this really powerful, podcast mark so it just leaves me really to thank you very much for your time today thank you for joining us and for for sharing much about Ella's Kitchen but also about yourself and your life and your your family and just carry on doing those those good things at, uh, in in business and uh, for the wider world thank you brilliant thanks very much Ray. thanks Mark so another great conversation there with Mark Cadogan. I love the passion with which he speaks about using business as a force for good. And I think that's such an important message. Um, you'll also have heard Mark's fantastic pearl of wisdom where he encouraged us all to uh, transfer our pension fund investments into funds that are sustainable um, or, or doing good things, impactful. Now that may well be a good thing to do, but please, please, please do take advice before you make any changes to your own pension funds, just to make sure you've got the right fund and risk rating that's good for you. Of course, my colleagues at Paradigm Norton would be delighted to assist, which leads me nicely 
into a little introduction into the next guest I have on Money Expresso. That's my friend and client manager, Tommy Watson from Paradigm Norton. And yes, you'll have noticed that a few of uh, my colleagues at Paradigm Norton have been telling their money stories. We think it's important that we share with you how we think about money. So it would be great to have Tommy on the podcast. He tells a wonderful story and is particularly interested in leading, uh, listening to his thoughts and insights into growing up as the son of a professional football player. So be sure to listen out for that podcast. In the meantime, have a good week. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe, rate, and give a five-star review for Money Expresso. Apparently, this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life. If you've got any thoughts, comments, or questions on any of the matters discussed, or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you. <music>